John chapter 15. Now, um, in John chapter 15, you've actually got Jesus preparing His disciples for His death the next morning. Well, actually the next afternoon. But um, He's got a lot of things He wants to talk to. As a matter of fact, He says, I have many things left to talk to you. But basically He says, we're out of time. So, He's got chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16, and that's it. Because chapter 17, He's he's in the garden, He's praying, and uh, He's interceding, and then chapter 18, He's uh, captured, brought before Pilate, uh, back and forth between uh, Caiaphas and Annas and the, uh, uh, Herod, and, and then he's gone. So he's got just a little bit of time to be able to talk about the last and most important. You know, it's, it's, these last chapters are some of the most important teachings about the life that Christ has called us to live. And they are some of the deepest. They seem so simple, but they are some of the most trying and, 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 and stretching truths all the way on. He starts off chapter 14, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Now, that was like an oxymoron. They were hearing him say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be uh, crucified tomorrow. Uh, guys, I'm going away. And they're like, what, 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 what? So he says, don't let your heart be troubled. And if you've ever been panicky and somebody says, stop panicking, you want to slap them. Because that's the last thing you want to hear. And yet Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. In chapter 13, he says, now you guys get along with one another. Love one another. Without me forcing you to, Jesus is saying. And they, chapter 13 has to be pondered and thought about. Um, chapter 14, he talks about the comforter coming. It was enough for them to understand that Jesus was the Son of God, to, to grasp that He was the Messiah, that He was maybe even God in the flesh. That really blew, him, blew, blew them away. But then He says, but I, I'm going to send a comforter. And that is such a rich, rich truth. Then He comes in chapter 15, and He, um, uh, he points to a vine. I don't know, maybe... Maybe they're going into the garden. I don't know. I, 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 maybe the moon was out. They have already left the upper room. It is already evening time. So maybe it's dark. I don't know what it is, but he uses a vine to teach about his relationship with them. We need to ponder what he says here. It'll take two weeks, maybe three. To, uh, to really try to just get our head around this thought of the vine and the branches. Father, would you bless our, our dig into the Scriptures tonight and touch our hearts with how much you value being close to us. Lord, I pray that we would listen to you speak tonight in just some simple but very profound words, very, very um, uh, thoughtful words. And may we stop and ponder them and let them just settle our hearts and really strengthen our resolve to be close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Now, let's take a step for a minute. And, and before we get into chapter 15, let me do a little uh, botanical lesson on the anatomy of a grapevine. 
Now, if you look in chapter 15, look at verse 1. I, I, we'll probably read this twice, but I want you to just follow along as I read verses 1 to 5. Jesus says these words, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now are you clean to the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Now, in this just beginning of his, it's not really a parable even though it is, he's not, it's really just him trying to teach about us and him. So you have the garden, the vineyard. Most everyone had gardens in those days. And, and they had to live off of their garden. Uh, when, when, they, when, when they heard Jesus begin to talk about the vine and the branch, everybody around Jesus could instantly understand and begin to connect the dots. Not like us city slickers, where we're trying to comprehend what's a seed, you know, what's a husbandman, all of these different things. But they knew exactly what he was describing. And uh, I have found in, in my study of vineyards that the best gardens had vineyards in them. Not only vineyards, they would have vegetables and fruits and things, but the best gardens and the most, the most enjoyable gardens had a vineyard in them. It was good for their economy. The juices from the grapes were used in so many different ways. They would use them to make sugar. They made, they used grape juice for refreshment, not for getting drunk. They used it for medicine and for water purification. Um, and in real simple terms, the garden is our life. Then there was the vine. A vine is a long, slender stem of a plant that carries nutrients and water from the roots to the branches. That's the vine. Now, when you look at a tree, a tree has a trunk, and a trunk is just a really big, thick vine. If you can understand that, it carries the sap and all the nutrients up to the branches. But a vine is something very slender and long. The vine is the centerpiece between the root and the branches. It's the most important part. Jesus doesn't start off talking about the branches, if you notice. He talked about the vine. And he brings in the branches, but I want you to understand, like a mediator, he's the bridge between what we need and who we are. Now, there were two kinds of vineyards. There were grape vineyards, and there were fig vineyards, mainly grape vineyards. But the vine was Jesus Christ. Then he describes a gardener. Now, anybody here who's ever tried to grow a garden knows gardens don't grow on their own. Only weeds, thistles, and nettles do that. So to have a garden, someone has to be the gardener. In the Bible, a gardener was known as a husbandman, a farmer, or a gardener, the one who would tend to the crops. Without a faithful, hard-working gardener, a fruitful gardener was out of reach. A fruitful garden. You can, you can plant, but if you don't stay working that plant, you're not going to normally have fruit. So thank God for gardeners. And the gardener 
Jesus is referring to is God the Father. Then he talks about the branches. He just talks about, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Well, the branches, a branch is at the top end of the vine, where all the leaves and the flowers and hopefully the fruit will grow. Now get this thought. To a branch, there is only one vine. A branch doesn't have six different vines feeding into it. A branch has only one vine. Even though there may be only one vine, a vine can have lots of branches. Now, a branch can be short, medium, or small. I'll show you a picture of this in a moment. A branch can be short, medium, or long in length. And their, and their only purpose, the only purpose of a branch is to spread out along that vine to get as much sun as possible so that it can bear fruit. The branches are believers. That's us. Now, the fruit. The greatest purpose of any living thing is the production of fruit. Okay? A tree can be a great shade in the summer. It can be a fun place to climb and hide and build uh, a treehouse in. But without fruit, it is no real benefit and it gives nothing back. The greatest value in a living thing is found in its fruit. A forest, a field, a life without fruit, without any new life, will die. And I'll talk about what kind of fruit a Christian produces in a few minutes. This is a grapevine. You notice, this is the vine that crosses, and, and what the gardener has done is he has a um, wire here that he has gingerly, carefully laid out and drawn up the vine to, and from that vine has grown branches up and down this one vine. Now, these branches up and all, now this one's been being pruned at this point. It has no fruit, but here's the vine, uh, the, here's the vine, and here are the branches. And, and there's just great lessons that Jesus just uses this simple plant and says, that's like our relationship. So, the most important truth in this portion of scripture, look there in verse one. I am the true vine. So the most important truth in John chapter 15 so far is that Jesus is the vine. What is it that most people go to church for? What is it that most people pray about themselves? About their problems? About their needs? As a matter of fact, we kind of make humor of it, but a lot of the worship songs today basically are these words. It's all about me. It's all about me. That's why they have any kind of relationship with God is so that they get their needs met. But that's not the relationship. The relationship began with Jesus Christ. And He is everything. If there's anything that draws me to church, it ought to be Jesus Christ. It ought to be my desire to worship Him, not all that I can get out of Him. The most important truth of John chapter 15, the beginning, is that Jesus is the vine. Look at his words. He uses these very special words. He says, I am. Did you know he says that phrase seven times in the Gospel of John? He says, I'm the bread of life. Come down from heaven in, in John chapter 6. He says, I'm the light of the world. Not a light, but the light. In John chapter 8. He says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then lastly, and here, 
most importantly, I think, for the Christian, is I am the true vine. So Jesus is the vine. Let me read up here. He's not, he, he's, folks, let me just tell you, notice what he says. I am the true vine. Does that imply that there's some fakers out there? There's some, uh, uh, false sources of spirituality that people will turn to and try to get help from. They'll try to draw from, like the branch drawing from the vine. Jesus says there are so many religions, there's so many leaders, there's so many cults to draw from, but I am the true vine. As a true vine, Jesus is the author and the sustainer of our life, and without him we could do nothing. If if you have a a, a vine set up on the on, on the wires and on the support, and then you took away the vine and left the branches, could it produce fruit without the vine? No. Now, you and I were like pondering this thing, but to the, to the disciples, they're like, obviously, Lord, without the vine, the branches can produce no fruit. And yet, how do we live? Day after day, hour after hour, and we have no walk with God. We have no sense of the presence of God. We have no desperate need for His help. And we go, I wonder why there's no fruit. We'd have no life at all if it weren't for that vine. So, the most important truth is, say it with me, Jesus is the vine. Secondly, look at verse 5. We're only branches. Now, look at verse 5. He says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. Now, there are two important truths about branches. Number one, we have no life without the vine. Are you ready for the second one? We have no value without fruit. So, well, I'm a Christian, amen. But are you, are you living for anything more than just yourself? Is there fruit in your life? Is there, is there a byproduct of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? We have no life without the vine. Can you understand that? Without Jesus Christ, I have no life. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that more abundant. Obviously, he gives us eternal life, but I can have life now. And I get that in my relationship with the Lord and in, in, in my day-by-day walk with him. But just as important, I've got to understand, I have no value unless I'm producing fruit. Now, you, now, you, now you're meddling, Pastor. Now you, now you want me to do something. <laughs> the vine supplies life to the branches. Uh, I'll just say this. We need absolutely everything that the vine provides just to exist. Just to exist, man. Um, we'll die without the vine. Now go to 2 Corinthians. You can hold your place here for a minute because we'll come back. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 17, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Look at a unique phrase in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in church, he's a new creature. Did I read that wrong? Therefore, if any man be in Christ. Now, to the Jews, that is, that is revolutionary. Because a Jew was in Abraham. You know how that worked? They had his genes. They came from him physically. Genetically, they were in the, the, the Jewish 
family under Abraham. How do I get into Christ? By being born again. So, if any man be in Christ now, if I've been in, if I've been attached to Him, if I draw my life from Him, I'm a new creature. Does that make sense? Old things are passed away. That old life that I used to draw my life from is gone. Go to Romans chapter 8 now. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Again, these are pondering thoughts. We're not going to go very far and very fast tonight. Just something to whet your appetite for next week where we will talk about barrenness. and About how come there's not, not enough fruit. But look at this. Chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in church. Ah. To them which are in the water of baptism. No. To them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh anymore, but after the Spirit. Therefore, we're talking about a oneness of life from the root to the branches. It's all one life. Jesus prayed and He says that they might be one as we are one. I, I tell you, there's no way to grasp that. But I've been invited into the Beloved. I have been invited into a relationship with Him that from root to branch is all one. Ponder that for a month. I am, it, it's like, it's like a relationship that I've never really got into. I just sort of known it's there. That would be a shame, would you agree? To actually know that I have such a closeness to the vine that I'm attached to him and thankfully he's attached to me. Interestingly, interestingly enough, a branch can have the semblance of life. How could a branch look like it's alive? Give me, give me a guess, some of you who actually know gardening. It has leaves. And that looks like it's got life. But if it has no fruit, I'll give you, you probably, if you've read John chapter 15, if it never produces fruit, what does the gardener determine? It has to go. That life is just a semblance of life. It's easy to put on a show, isn't it? It's easy to act, walk, talk like a Christian, have the semblance of life, and be dead. The reason for being born again is us not producing leaves, but help me out, producing fruit. So we are only branches. So let's take the third step and we'll be finished tonight. What is our fruit? What is this thing called fruit? Well, according to the Bible... Fruit, a Christian's fruit, is the byproduct of our connection to the vine. Look back there in John chapter 15 and verse 4. John 15 and verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. Fruit is a byproduct. It's a result of our Connection to the vine. Simple, abiding union with Christ. That's the main thing that's necessary to produce fruit. The goal, Christian fruit, is actually the purpose of Bible pastors and teachers in your life. Go to Romans chapter 1. You can lead John for a little bit. Romans chapter 1. And verse 13. 
There are some churches that see Christians as sheep to be sheared. If you understand that concept, they're going to make a lot of money off of people. Sounds like a politician. But then there are some pastors whose only goal is that the Christians who hear them and learn the Bible produce fruit and produce it for God's glory. Romans chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says this, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed, I determined to come unto you, but I was let hitherto. Why was he coming? Why does he want to go to Rome? He says, that I might have some fruit among you, even as among other Gentiles. He wanted to watch fruit blossom in the Christians at Rome. And that ought to be the goal of a Bible teacher and a pastor is your growth. When he talks about fruit, he is only talking about spiritual fruit. Not worldly success at all. You know, the, the greatest testimony of a church is not the pocketbooks, not the cars, not the place they meet, but their closeness to the Lord Jesus Christ and their fruitfulness from that. So, don't think that when, when Jesus says, I want you to bear much fruit, it means that you have a lot of money. Or that you have it easy. Or that things go well. No, no, no. That's not fruit. It's spiritual fruit. It's peace that passes understanding. Are you with me? It is good fruit. Go to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 10. Matthew 3.10, And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth... What kind of fruit is he looking for? Doesn't, if, it doesn't, if it doesn't bring forth good fruit, is hewn down and cast into the fire. Go to chapter 7, verse 16. Matthew 7.16. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns? Uh, maybe if they've done genetically modified foods, I don't know, but anyway. Uh, or figs of thistles. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bringeth forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. What's the key word in all of that? Good fruit. Good fruit. I just thought, listen, I used to produce fruit for the devil. I used to produce fruit that was pleasing unto others. I want to produce good fruit now. Another type of fruit is fruit that blesses God. Let's go to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him that is raised from the dead, all that so that we should bring forth fruit unto who? Unto God. Not unto the church, not unto yourself, but it's fruit given to God. 1 Corinthians 9.7 now. 1 Corinthians 9.7.
All right, now let me ask you a question. Well, I'll have to, because uh, I didn't actually say it, but you know what the gardener does when he has a garden? He plants the vine. He plants the vine. So, if there's any fruits in my life, it belongs to him. He put me into Christ. I happen to have all these blessings. My life is not about, and my blessings are not about me. They're about him. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges, at his own expenses? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not the fruit of the fruit thereof? If you did have a garden in your back, and, and you planted a bunch of radishes and cucumbers and strawberries and potatoes and everything else, you'd be expected that you'd be the one that wanted to eat it. Amen? When the Lord does something in your life, He expects to get something out of it. You say, that doesn't make sense. No, it makes perfect sense. Because he's God. Go to back to Matt, uh, go to Mark chapter four. A Christian's fruit can be choked by the world, can be choked out. Mark chapter four and verse seven. Mark four seven. Speaking of the seeds falling on different types of ground, verse seven and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded what? Wow. <clears throat> Somebody tell me what the thorns end up being like in that, in that portion of Scripture where Jesus explains it. The cares, the concerns, the worries, the, the, the burdens of this world. What else are thorns? Uh, riches can choke out any kind of fruit in your life because it's hard to walk with God when you're worried about the banker and the bank account. So, um, your fruit, you can be going along in your Christian life and, it, and, and, the, and the potential for you to produce fruit, the potential for you to, to mature and actually make a difference can be stymied, can be, that's another word, stifled, can be crippled by the world. Go to Luke chapter 8. Luke 8. Luke 8 and verse 14. I like how he says it here. And that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard, they hear the, they hear the word, they go forth and yet are choked with the cares and the riches and the, what's the next word? Now let's do, let me put a modern word. You ready? The entertainment of this world. The pleasures of this life, and they bring no fruit to perfection. So Christian's fruit can be choked by the world, and it can, thankfully, here's an encouragement. You ready? You get in a chastening cycle, the Lord has to deal with you. Fruit can grow again after the chastening. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 11. Hebrews 12, 11. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. Nobody gets excited about being in trouble. But grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So you can just think, you say, well, I haven't had fruit in a while. The Lord sees me chasing me. Just trust after the chastening, you'll produce fruit again. That's an encouragement. Now, here's the flip side. <clears throat> if you have no fruit, 
Jesus over and over shows you're cursed. You're in trouble. Let's go to Matthew chapter 21. See, now we come to the realization that it's not just, well, you know, Brother Dan, he's able to produce fruit. Um, uh, so-and-so, he's able to. But I'm just not able to do it. It is so serious that Christians produce fruit. He describes these acts to put the fear of God in believers. Matthew 21, 19. Matthew 21, 19. Look at verse 17. He left them and he went out of the city unto Bethany and he lodged there. Now in the morning, verse 18, 21, 18. Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, Jesus did what? He's all man, just as much as he's all God. But as a man, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and he found nothing thereon but leaves only. And guess what he says to it? Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree dried up. You say, that's, that's terrifying. Yeah. Wake up. Your Christian life matters whether it has an effect or not. You can't just get saved and then go hiding. Can't just say, well, I'm okay. Yeah, you may be okay, but that's not why you got saved. You were saved to yield forth great fruit. And I'm going to tell you what the fruit is, more particularly, in just a moment. Uh, Mark 11, 14. Mark 11, 14. Mark 11, 14. I can get there myself. Wow, go back a few, page, few few verses there, verse 12. And on the morrow when they came from Bethany, again, it's the same story, but it's just evidently it is important to be repeated. And he was hungry and seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for the time of figs was not yet. Well, I'm not ready, Pastor. I'm not ready yet. Really? Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee henceforth forever. And his disciples heard it. And when they walked back by later, it had shriveled up. Uh, Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 and verse 9. And again, we use this verse, at least we use this, these words, uh, talking just a little while ago, but look at verse 9. And also, and now also the axe is laid into the root of the trees. This is John the Baptist preaching. Every tree, therefore, that bringeth not forth good fruit is what? Hewn down and cast in the fire. That's why you, you say, how come all these politicians get away with such lies and such deception? How come all these false preachers and false cult leaders, how come they get away with it? One day they won't. One day all their false, all of their deception, all of their lies, all of their thievery, all of uh, everything about them. God says, they brought forth no good fruit. I'm going to cut them down. Amen. Don't join them. Look at your life and decide, I want to have good fruit. Jude 1. There's only one chapter, but Gospel of Jude. The Gospel. The Bible. The book of Jude. I'm going to find a right term here in a second. Jude, just before Revelation, chapter 1 and verse 12. Jude, verse 12. But these are spots in your feasts of charity. Think about that for a moment. That was their church service. They called it a feast of charity. It just, it was so good to be at church. 
when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withered without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. If you have no fruit, you're in trouble. Now let's talk about the various fruits in the Bible. The first one and the most important set of fruits is called the fruit of the Spirit. Can anybody name all nine besides Tony and Dan? Go ahead. Huh? There's no law against any of those. Brilliant. Nine different fruits can grow out of the life of the believer because of one person in their life. Who is it? The Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit in your life produces such great fruit. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And verse 9. Talking about good fruit. Ephesians 5, 9 says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness. It's all good. And righteousness. And truth. So, when we talk about fruits of the Bible, we're talking about being able to love one another. Uh, have, uh, enjoy one another. Enjoy life. Because of the joy that just, just comes out of us. Peace. Peace that passes understanding. Peace among ourselves. Uh, love, joy, peace. Long suffering. Putting up with one another. Um, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. These are the fruits, would you agree, that are probably the most needed and most important in our life from day one? Amen. But there are more fruits. Again, uh, go to Philippians 1. We've looked at Matthew 3.8 about good fruit. Uh, uh, in Matthew 3.8, I'll just quote it for you. John the Baptist looked at all the crowds who'd come out there to see what was going on. And some of them were actually coming up to get baptized. And he says, bring forth fruits, meet for repentance, that match your repentance. <clears throat> Meaning that I want to know whether you really mean business. I want to know if you want to live holy or not. Uh, Philippians 1.11. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians 1.11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, the vine, unto the glory and praise of God. You want to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. You see, none of these things uh, 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 describe money, do they? None of them describe um, health. None of them describe success. They deal with righteousness. They deal with peace. They deal with spiritual things that only Christians can enjoy and can appreciate. Righteous living. <clears throat> Children. You know, that's a good fruit that the Lord can give you. They're called the fruit of the womb. It's a blessing to have children. The Bible says, blessed have their quiver full of them. What is our fruit? Children raised for God. Amen. Number four, praise. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 and verse 15. Hebrews 13:15 By him by Jesus Christ therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise sometimes it is a sacrifice sometimes it may be the hardest thing you ever do let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually that is what's the sacrifice of praise it's the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name what's our fruit you ever wonder what comes out of your mouth 
What comes out of mouth is what's in your heart. And what's in your heart, you got from a different vine than Jesus Christ because he didn't put that stuff in your heart. He puts clean things. He says, now are you clean? I'll talk about this next week. Now is your thoughts clean? Now is your heart clean through the word that I've spoken unto you? So you want to get that mouth fixed? You're going to, have to get the heart fixed. You want to get the heart fixed? Get close to the Lord Jesus. Because praise is fruit out of our life. And listen, people are going to come into church and they're just not going to have anything good to say. So don't say anything. My mom used to say. <clears throat> but there ought to be a yearn that says, I want the fruit of my mouth to be praise unto God. Another wisdom, James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verse 17. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without wisdom, I mean, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. It just is a byproduct of it. Look at chapter 5 in James, verse 7. Patience. Patience is a fruit that you get coming from your relationship with the Lord. James chapter 5 and verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman. What's a husbandman? What's another name for the husbandman? Gardener. The husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and have long patience for it until they receive the early and the latter rain. God will give you patience. And, and we'll go back to it next week, but it, the fruit is power with God. You know what Jesus says? And I'll just give you a taste. In John chapter 15, he says, if you get this truth right, Peter, if you get this right, uh, uh, Nathaniel, if you get this right, um, Matthew, you can ask what you will, and it will be done unto you. You'll have power with God that is beyond what the world could ever imagine. There's one more I thought about afterwards. I didn't include it on the list, but if you go to Proverbs chapter 11, see if my memory is correct. Yes. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. One other fruit that just happens to happen come out of a Christian's life when they're walking with the Lord. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. I don't know why I didn't think of this till just now, but it comes when it comes. The fruit of the righteous is as a what? Wow. Like branches. Is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls. That's a wise man. Is wise. What's the fruit that, that ought to come as a natural reaction, natural byproduct of my closeness to the Lord? New, new baby Christians. So, why aren't more of those fruits in our lives? You ever think of that? How come I struggle? How come these things don't just come naturally? How come it's, it's just so hard? Same channel. Same time next week. Next week I'm going to talk about what the gardener does and why. And it's not going to be fun. We're going to talk about why pruning. Why does he prune? Do you know the the most important part of a gardener's job, are you ready? It's the constant cutting away of things that are in the way of those plants producing fruit. What the vine does for us, what Christ expects of us, and there's a big deal about being barren. Now, let me ask some questions. Raise your hand if you can answer this. Number one, 
In chapter 15, Jesus points to a vine in a vineyard and teaches disciples what one great truth. Nathan. All right, now you're ahead, but his one great truth was our need to have a relationship so close with him like a branch is to the vine. That's chapter 15's focus. You understand what I'm saying? All right, so follow me along. Second one. What is the garden vineyard referring to? What is it referring to? Nope, the garden. Tony, our life. This is me. This is where I live. I either produce fruit in the garden or I'm barren. Three, who's the vine? Now, Nathan. Go ahead. What are you going to say? Yes. It's Jesus. It, It sounds so simple, but you get these things. The next time you read it, the Lord will teach you something besides just these facts. These are just the outer skeleton. And when you ponder chapter 15, it comes alive. How does he refer to himself? How does Jesus refer to himself? James. Huh? The true vine. I like that. I like that. Who's the gardener? God, the Father. Who are the branches? If you're a branch, put your hand up. Amen. That's cool. That's cool. One vine, lots of branches. Amen. Amen. The greatest value in a living thing is found in its what? It's in its fruit. Thank you. The value. If you have a strawberry plant and it has no strawberries, what good is it? Are you with me? Yes, sir? Yes, sir. He's already dealt with it. Well, he's going to actually, the whole point of chapter 15, he goes into how the Holy Spirit, see, Jesus can only do so much in the flesh. He can heal the body. But he has to go away so the Holy Spirit can come and can work in the heart and can bring forth that fruit. So he will deal. But it's, at the same time, he says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you, but in the person of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? The gardener. It is the vine. Oh, the Holy Spirit is actually the active force in everything. For example, he's the one that attaches me to the vine. Okay? He's the one that takes me out of sin and puts me in Christ. So he's behind the scenes active constantly. And without him doing anything, nothing would get done. He's just the glue that, that is at work all the time. Okay? Um, number eight. As the true vine, Jesus is the author and sustainer of our life. We didn't read the verse, but most of everybody should know it. Without him, we can do nothing. Woo! Amen. <laughs> what a reality, man. I mean, if that penny ever dropped, we'd get it, wouldn't we? Wow. Without him, we can do nothing. Number nine. There are two important truths about us branches, about you and me. Ready? We have no life without the, the vine. And we have no value without... Thank you. You're getting it. Ah. If you have no fruit, raise your hand. You're what? Barren is too nice of a word. We need the word that I use. You're not just dead. Twice dead. <laughs> no, you guys don't want to remember the word. Well, we're cursed. See, can a Christian be cursed? You can put yourself under a curse. You can get in trouble with God, and he may have to kill you early. I don't want to go there today because that will ruin next week. 
But there are plenty of times where we get out of a relationship with the Lord and we go back into a relationship with the world and the Lord says, you better take this thing seriously, buddy. Because no longer can you bear fruit coming from another vine. Stay close to me. And it's just mind-boggling how many people get bored with Christianity. I, I Listen, if the vine is not exciting, it doesn't matter. It's my source of life. I stay with the vine. Amen? All right. So, good, good, good. Um, have any more? Oh, somebody list me uh, one of the fruits of a Christian life: joy, long-suffering, children, huh? Gentleness. How about righteous living, holiness, goodness? How about praise, love? How about souls? There's quite a lot of fruit to produce, amen? And you say, how can one person produce all that? You ought to read Revelation. There are trees out there that produce 12 different manner of fruits. Each tree can produce 12 different fruits. So one day you go up there and there's an orange. The next day, there are bananas. (laughs) It can produce 12 different kinds of fruit. And you can too. You can too. Father, we love you and thank you for giving us a pondering moment here. I'm sure those disciples, as they're walking along with Jesus, maybe even in the darkness, we don't know, as he spoke these things visually in their mind, it must have just shook them. What what is this all about? And, And in the end, as he went into prayer, it didn't strike them. They went to sleep. They needed to be praying. They needed to be watching against temptation. And the, the message of chapter 15 didn't hit them until the resurrection. Lord, I pray we don't wait too long before this truth about our dependence upon you and the oneness, the union, the closeness hits us. We talked about prayer over the last few weeks. We talked about making time just for you alone. Now we need to know why. Because without you, we truly can do nothing. So I pray, Lord, that we never forget just how important the vine is in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.